0: Well, welcome, uh, everyone. We are going to be continuing in our series called "Teach Us to Pray." Uh, I mentioned to those who came in early, but this is one of those this is one of those Sundays that uh, you might want to take some notes. You might want to have something to take notes because a lot of times a a talk is that we do something we do on Sunday morning the intention is to go deep on something, right? We'll take one thing and we'll kind of like look at it a a lot of different ways. And it's like the microscope sermon or the microscope conversation. Like we're going deep on one thing. Sometimes we zoom out with a more of a telescope approach. We want to take something from a wider perspective. And that's what we're doing today. We're going for a wider perspective of Luke 11 verses one through 11. I will stick the, uh, link in the chat if anyone needs um, to get there. And we're going to be looking at this passage, teach us to pray. And this is not the most famous version of the Lord's Prayer, which is Jesus's response to the disciples. That's in Matthew six. This is a more truncated, shortened version of that. And the disciples ask a question. And Jesus essentially gives four different responses. And we're going to kind of take a telescope view of those four different responses. And I think this is like a very wide view of prayer. So sometimes we want to go in on one particular aspect of prayer, like Joel did on the first week um, with the praying and petition of Philippians four. This, this is not that this is a broad kind of view. Um, So, this is in the book of Luke. And we know from the beginning of Luke, he's writing to someone named Theophilus, who's a friend of his. And he says he's trying to give an orderly account. Now, Luke wasn't, um, Luke was a physician. And what he did when he was writing his gospel is he went around and he collected lots of different stories. So he was kind of an assembler more than like a constructor, right? So some people told their experience, told their stories. You know, Mark is like the preaching of Peter. Um, John's is, you know, a lot of firsthand experience, like the gospel of John. He includes a lot of like, what would, you know, what were the smells that were there? What were people's reactions and their facial expressions? And there's very different things. Like Luke, he goes around and he collects stories from everyone. Everyone who were eyewitnesses. And so he then assembles something. So we don't know in this passage is this, is this something that Jesus gave, like these four things back to back in response to the disciples' questions, teach us to pray? Or did he assemble these four because they thought that made sense later? We have no idea. Um, but I don't think that that matters. We're still, Luke was trying to give us a broad teaching on prayer in these. Um, four responses of Jesus in the first 11 verses of Luke 11. And so we're going to look at that. And it's an interesting question. So right there at the beginning of Luke 11, it says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, first of all, this is... This is a little weird to me because the the immediate reaction should be, well, don't they know how to pray? (laughs) Weren't they raised in the Jewish tradition? Weren't they praying their entire lives? Didn't they grow up reading the epic prayers of Moses and Hannah and like the Psalms, all the prayers of the Psalms? or even forget about all their upbringing, the previous chapter, Luke 10, Jesus sends them, the disciples out with a, uh, with a total of 72 people. Jesus sending out the 72 where they go out and they heal the sick and they preach and they cast out demons and um, they come back rejoicing because what they had done in that situation, I wonder if those situations, they are, they were praying the way that they often saw Jesus pray. And sometimes Jesus's prayers were short, Real short. They were prayers like, see, <laughs> get up and walk. <laughs> really short prayers, right? And I'm, like, and I'm like, they had just done a whole lot of things that were unbelievable, just incredible experiences. But here they're seeing something that they're going, we don't get. We see you, Jesus. We see you going off by yourself. We see you withdrawing to pray. Something that Jesus regularly did. We see you doing this thing and you coming back. And so they ask the kinds of questions that disciples ask. Disciples are always asking, what is it you're doing so we can learn to do it? Tell us what you're doing so we can do it. That is the heart of a disciple. That is to be our hearts. We have a discipler in Jesus. Show us what you're doing so we can do it. And Jesus gives four responses here. And we're going to just quickly look at them. And the first one is this truncated version of the Lord's prayer. Now, both the Matthew six version and this version, um, if you look at where they were drawn from, there's all these different manuscripts like from, you know, newer to older. And if, when they're, when they're working on creating a translation and assembling, uh, the Bible, you have these different manuscripts. And so, um, when you look at even this one they'll say well this line was here in the later manuscripts not in the earlier ones but like you see that a lot more in Matthew 6 and this one it's very short and it's not the version we were just singing it simply says in Luke 11 when you pray say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. Just six things. So this could be an example or could be a list. I've seen it taught or in seen in different ways. This, in one way, this is an example. There's a way that you can pray. And this is a great prayer for people to learn. And I love that millions of people around the world recite this prayer every, every week, every day, millions of people around the world recite this. It stayed with us. It stayed an important part of the fabric of humanity for the last 2000 years is this specific prayer. But I'm going to run down what each of these six things are. Like, let's, let's look at it as a list of components for a second because I can't help and like, this is how my brain works. I have to look at something and take it all apart and then reassemble and go, what's going on here? But I think there's a heart in all of that that uh, really resonates. And the very first thing about this prayer is this prayer is relational. It starts with intimacy. It starts with our father. And I think this is part of what the passage in Philippians four that Joel spoke out of the first week when he was talking about prayer and petition. A lot of times we think of prayer as asking, but Paul is specific to say praying and asking. The, the function of it needs to be prim, uh, relational first. Prayer should be relational first, not request first because With God is simply, you're there to fulfill my requests. That's not a very healthy relationship. It's It's a little one sided. And God wants to be in relationship with us. And it's also intimate in the fact that we're using the term. Father, I I love the old Wimber story. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, when he talks about going to church for the first time and someone who had been talking normally before started to pray and they dropped their head and they started talking really funny, like are thy highest king of law on and on with this flowery language. And he's like, what happened to that guy? What's wrong? What's wrong with that guy? No, Jesus says elsewhere, don't be like, Those who have, you know, used the flowery language of prayer in the streets, they've received their reward in full. It's first, it's intimacy, our father. And it goes with the next line, Hallowed be your name. It's interesting, Hallowed is not a word that shows up through like the rest of the New Testament at least not in the NIV version, (laughs) maybe in the King James version, but like even the NIV, all the modern ones have like preserved this word in this prayer. But hallowed, it literally means to honor as holy. Hallowed means to honor as holy. It is a reverent statement of praise. So if you want to know how prayer begins, it begins with the intimacy and the awe. God, you're like a father. You're right here. And I am in awe of you. If you want your prayer life to deepen, begin with the intimacy and the awe. The next component is this prayer is missional. It has right there in line three, after the intimacy, after the all, is the mission. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the theme of Jesus's entire ministry. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. His preaching is about the kingdom of God. And so it's a missional statement, right smack dab in the middle of this prayer. So what, what is the kingdom of God? What does that even mean? Like that's a multiple part series in and of itself, but to break it down in the simplest form, the kingdom of God is we want this place to look more like if God was ruling it instead of Caesar, It's anticipation and the imagination of what does this place look like if God is fully in charge? Because we are working towards the co-creation of that world. We are imagining what it looks like to live in that world, to be a part of that world. Give us today. Let your kingdom come. We want to see, we want to imagine what this place would fully look like if God was running it. We want to see God's will more fully done. Some people think that anything that happens, well, that just was God's will. That is not the way Jesus lived, spoke, or prayed. It's something that we are working toward. The next part of the prayer is practical. So it's relational. It's praise. It's missional. And it's practical. Give us this day our daily bread. Because that was a concern of theirs. It's good that this prayer has the big mission in your kingdom come, but it also has the small mission in give us today our daily bread. There's something we need here. We need our practical needs met. And God is a God of practical needs and wants to meet you in your practical needs. So ask for them. The prayer gives a check for self, self check and a justice check. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You know, this is one of the only prayers with a qualifier. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive those other others. Again, each of these, I would love to go in and on a microscope to talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not... You did something really wrong to me, and I just welcome you back into relationship. That is not forgiveness. That is reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two people. Forgiveness requires one. Forgiveness says, I'm not holding the bitterness, the resentment, the anger. Because I know if I am holding on to the bitterness, resentment, and anger, I won't be open enough to receive. relationship with the father, awe of the father. I won't be open to receive the missional aspect. I won't be able to receive practical because I'm always got my hackles up. So I send away, which is the word literally means forgive. I send away all of that negative thing that I would be tempted to hold onto. As one person put it, unforgiveness is drinking Poison and expecting your enemy to die. So I forgive. And then he ends with a prayer of protection. Lead us not into temptation. The prayer is protective. I think part of that is because Jesus was led into temptation. Jesus experienced that. He was led into temptation. He's saying, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into some situations that are going to make us bitter and resentful and angry. Because then we're going to spend all our energy working through that stuff. And there's a season for that. But we want to move up those needs into the, the mission of the kingdom of God, relationship with God. So that's the Lord's prayer. That's the first list there, right? (laughs) So boom, check. There's one section, right? Okay. There's one section still with me. I know this is a lot, but we're, this is telescope and this is, this is going to be good. Um, The next part, this next part is the hardest for us to understand culturally because it is the most removed culturally from our understanding. Okay. Let me explain that. So this is the next session section in verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up to give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, as the, the NIV says, he, uh, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Here's the reason this is most removed from us culturally. We hear this story and the way we imagine it, we see the person going and knocking on the friend's door as the one imposing. I'm imposing the need of my guest on you right and it's and we feel a little bit of that we don't want to be the person knocking on the door that is not how this culture would have read it when a guest shows up to a community they saw themselves as a community unit and it was their shared responsibility to care for the guest so when the first hearers of the scripture they're not looking at the audacity of the person who will knock on the neighbor's door asking for something They hear the audacity of the person giving lame excuses to not do what they are responsible and expected to do for the guest who has shown up. You got to flip it. Our cultural expectation goes, oh my gosh, I don't want to be, oh gosh, to knock on that door, to to ask for something so late at night. They're looking at it's comical. Jesus is using comedy here to be like this guy with his lame excuses, not living up to his responsibility. You think when you pray, it's like that you think God's like this guy, like laying in bed, giving lame excuses, why he won't meet your needs. Oh, I'm already in bed. The door's locked. Kids are here. Like we, we go, Oh, that maybe that sounds a little more reasonable to us, to the original hearers. They're like laughing at this guy. Like, what is wrong with that guy? Get up and give him something. That's your job. Do your job, as we say in New England. <laughs> because of the Patriots. Do your job. They're laughing at it. He says, no, he'll he'll do his job because you show up. You just you just knock. You don't give up. You don't take his excuses. Basically, it's saying a lousy neighbor. We'll do the right thing if you bug them. And God is so much better than that. But there's still something in the story of grit. Of showing up and being like, I expect something here. That God is more like, there's an aspect of God that's like the neighbor who, God owns the responsibility like that I do want to work with you here. I do want to show with you in this space. That's point two. Point three. So I say to you ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. Now, I kind of put this as three categories of prayer, how I understand this. This is just one way to look at it, but I wanna give a a way to look at this that might be a little bit different. Um, Sometimes we face something that is so far beyond us, where we we feel so powerless that all we can do is ask. But the way that the, there's still the grit in this, the way the original language is, it's kind of like ask and keep asking. Seeking, keep seeking. There's sort of a continual process to it. Continue to ask. But sometimes the only solution is external. We, certain things we face, we don't really have um, what we need. We're asking for our daily bread and we're asking for help and that's okay. But you don't stop asking and you don't stop and say, well, I asked and the situation didn't change. So I guess it's not God's will. Your healing, your fullness, your joy is always God's will but there is, that is not the only team on the field. So that's the first part, ask, and then there's seek. Seeking is prayer as action. Seeking is prayer as action. We more actively participate in the solution. We are still asking, but we are also looking for a solution. We are seeking. Uh, Seeking is like a communal ask. This is when uh, we are seeking, uh, we are including the wisdom, the knowledge of others. A lot of times it's experimental. Let's try stuff and see if we can figure this out. This is when I'm sick and I'm meeting with this doctor and this specialist, and my community is praying for me, and I'm trying this kind of new nutrition route, and I'm seeking, I'm looking for different ways to find my way through this, this situation. To be completely honest, this is one that I really, it really bothers me when I see this not being included as a part of the prayer. When I get a prayer request from someone who has been, has known for years that they needed to change something in their lifestyle, because if they didn't, it was really going to harm them. The abuse of a substance or of food, and then pray for me because I'm in the hospital. I I can pray for you, but you got to be seeking the solution through your actions through what you put in your body and the way you live your life and the way you move your life. This is seeking its prayer as action. And then this, this last component, knock and the door will be open. Knocking is very active. It's like at the door. I am, I'm not looking for a solution. I found it. I'm at the door and I am knocking. I am hitting the door expecting to be let in because I am at the door of my breakthrough. I am standing at the door of my breakthrough and my knuckles are on the door. And I am expecting this door to open. It's being relentless in the pursuit of the breakthrough. And then Jesus finishes these four with a, another sort of comedic, comedic picture. In verse eleven, for which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I don't think he's literally calling the people like you're all evil people. That's not what he's saying here it's it's hyperbole to show the the difference between um, uh, you and God. <laughs> but he's kind of like, y'all are messed up and you still care about your kids and want to take good care of them. Like, are any y'all gonna, your kid comes to you and says, daddy, can I have some fish to eat? And he's like, gotcha, poisonous snake. No, like this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, like, how are you seeing the heart of God? is a, is in there but he's also just pointing out the the ridiculousness of this. Who's going to be like, "Daddy, can I have a egg? I'm hungry." Gotcha. Poisonous scorpion, don't get stung. No. <laughs> it's supposed to be absurd imagery. Jesus does this sometimes. So he's really absurd imagery to get your attention. Saying, know the heart of God that even you in all of your jacked up foolishness, know how to give good things to your kids. So do I at a whole nother level. I have good things for you. You ask me for a fish. I find it and I multiply it and feed 5,000 people. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is you ask for a good thing. Heart of God is to give you a good thing. Not to be like, psych, scorpion. But sometimes we do that internally, don't we? We think, oh, I want to ask for something good, but... Maybe God really wants me to have a, a scorpion so I can, like, because this pain's going to teach me something. Jesus is a master teacher. If you don't understand that Jesus is the greatest genius ever to live. We're not quite getting him yet because Jesus in 11 verses here, he, he can teach mechanics and heart all at once. Understand that your prayer is both relational and intimate with an element of praise and awe. That Your prayer is missional not just about you. It's about this whole thing, this whole mission of God. That it's practical. That God wants to meet you where you are and give you your daily bread. That it's, it has built-in checks because he wants you to check your heart. Don't expect all this good stuff to show up if you're holding on to bitterness and resentment. Let it go. Forgive. Release. It's protective. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, as the Matthew 6 one says, deliver us from evil. Remember that when you pray, God isn't a stingy neighbor who gives excuses as to why you can't have the good things. When you pray, be relentless. Have some grit. Don't pray and then give up. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Look around. This is where, you know, that seeking is where Joel, uh, one of the first sermons we, that Abby and I heard from him that put us in tears was when he was talking about the interventionist versus the incarnational God interventionist is like, I'm asking you out there, God, to come do something over here. But the incarnational God is, I'm seeking with God and my community to look for a solution to this problem. A lot of us, our work, our jobs exist because we are part of the community that is seeking solution together. But be relentless about it. When you come to that door of your your breakthrough, you knock on it with all your might, and know that the Father is good. There's no gotcha in God. It's goodness. Take a minute. And if you did take notes or I I just went over those things again, is there an, is there an aspect that hasn't been enough of your prayer life that you think, oh, this is an, there's an area I need to include a bit more. I need to make it a little more relational understand that there's a good father who has good things for me. I need to remember both the intimacy and the awe and include the praise element. I need to remember that it's missional, that I am a part of seeing God's will be done more and more and more on earth as it is in heaven. I need to lean into the practical and seek with God ways to make life a little more practically what it needs to be to create some resources and margins so that I can do the other things that I'm called to do. What about the check? The check of I don't want to hold something, I don't want to hold something negative so that I'm not open to receive. Do you feel like you've been getting blasted lately and you need to up that prayer of protection, asking God to deliver you? Do you need to remember that God doesn't make excuses? You need to seek and keep seeking really lean into the seeking, lean into the participating with God and your community to seek a solution for whatever is facing you. And when you come to the door of your breakthrough, will you put your hand to that door with such force that all the heavens hear it?